as we work through the Psalms, we, we wonder how they're organised. I've never been persuaded by any of the theories of organisation that are written up in the different books and scholars. But there is some order, no doubt. It's grouped into five books, for example. And there is some pattern of psalms that you can see, some grouping of psalms together. So from Psalm 93 onwards, we've been reading about the announcement of Yahweh's reign. Now psalm 93.1 goes... And his reign, the Lord reigns, and his reign will bring judgment on his enemies as it brings salvation to his people. And that theme continues in each of the Psalms up until Psalm 97. And Lee's going to read to us now the first five verses of our Psalm. Thank you. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. So our psalm today commences with the announcement of Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. It's not so much a statement of eternal truth or a statement of the state of things of eternity. Yahweh is and always has been reigning over everything. It's more an announcement of Yahweh's reign coming into effect, coming into full force, an announcement of the coming of the kingdom of Yahweh. And so it's a matter of joy. It's a matter of joy for the world, verse 1. The earth is to rejoice. The coastlands, or the Hebrew word could mean the islands, that is, the farthest reaches of the world are to rejoice. God's reign on earth is the best thing to happen for the world. And all the world should look forward to the time when he will reign unchallenged and he will reign with justice and with righteousness for he is the Lord of all the earth. But notice how in verse 5, the Lord is the ruler, the master. It's in lowercase, the word Lord there, rather than uppercase, because it's not the name Yahweh in verse 5 as it is in verse 1. That is, verse 1 is Yahweh reigns, let the earth rejoice. But verse 5 is the mountains melt like wax before Yahweh, before the Lord of all the earth. You see the shift that takes place there. For he is the Lord of all the earth. The ruler of all the earth is Yahweh. That is, the Lord is Lord. It's a way of saying Yahweh is Lord, is master, is ruler. And because Yahweh is the Lord, he rules his creation with power and with might and with righteousness and justice. Uh, that's why the, melt, the mountains melt like wax before him. Because he has made them all. He is sovereign and supreme over them all. He has all the forces of the universe under his control. So that when he spoke to the people at Mount Sinai in the Exodus under Moses, if you remember... His presence was signified in clouds and darkness and rumbles and, and lightnings and, and terrible thunder. 
His presence was so terrifying that the people begged that he no longer speak to them and we're told even Moses was terrified of him. That is, when we deal with Yahweh, we must remember that he's the creator of the whole universe. He's the creator of us. The, the, the bombs that we are able to construct, the atom bombs that we are able to construct with the incredible power to flatten a city with a single bomb is as but nothing compared to the mighty power of Yahweh, the creator and ruler of the universe. And so we must fear his power for it's the fear of Yahweh which is the very beginning of wisdom. Yet Yahweh doesn't rule with power and force alone but with righteousness and justice. This is terrific news. This is really great news for the the king who rules by power and force alone is a tyrant, is an absolute tyrant. He's the one for whom we have no redress, we have no answer, we have no defence, we can do nothing. His tyranny knows no end. His fickle nature can do anything to us at any time he wants. But Yahweh is not like that. Yahweh is the one who brought to humanity the rule of law which we, of course, enjoy today. Our Prime Minister might have all kinds of power, but our Prime Minister is under the law. We can take him to court. We can resist his power because he can only rule under the law. It's Yahweh who introduced that very concept in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai to the children of Israel, with concept which has spread mercifully around the world. And he does it because he himself is righteous and just. That is part of his nature and character. And so he binds himself to his own word. He keeps his own covenant. That's a wonderful thing of the nature of God, that he gives his word and he keeps his word. He makes his promises, he fulfills his promises. He does that which he requires of himself to do. And so we don't live in an amoral, meaningless world of the atheists, but in the meaningful and moral world of the Creator and Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, who is righteous and just. Second part of verse 2, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Over the last weeks, as those who come on Sundays know, I've been reading Alex Rosenberg, the atheist professor of philosophy at at Duke University in the United States. Uh, Duke is one of the great universities of of the United States. And a professor of philosophy is no mean person. He wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Atheist's Guide to Reality. In his first chapter, he asks a series of summary questions and then gives his answers that he will justify in the rest of the book. He's not arguing for atheism. He assumes atheism has won the argument. He's just trying to help atheists understand now that we rule the world, this is what life is like. This is what we should aim for. This is the atheist world. And so he asks questions like, 
what is the meaning of life? And the answer is, there is none. Why am I here? The answer, just dumb luck. What happens when we die? Everything pretty much goes on as before, except us. See, there's the atheist grasp of reality. What is the difference, he goes on, between right and wrong, good and bad? There is no moral difference between them. Let that sink in for a minute or two, friends. There is no good, there is no bad, there is no right, there is no wrong. Do you see the enormous importance of Psalm 97 verse 2? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. We live under Yahweh. We live in a world where there is right and wrong. There is good and bad. You dispense with Yahweh and you live in a world where there is no good and bad. There is no right and wrong. There's just power. This total lack of respect for morality and meaning leads to a total lack of respect for human life and no real concern for human death and therefore no concern about dispensing with lives. So what are the question? Is abortion, euthanasia, suicide, paying taxes, foreign aid or anything else you don't like forbidden, permissible or sometimes obligatory? And his answer... Anything goes. That is awful, isn't it? Two words that describe all of morality of life and death and the great issues of them. Anything goes, which if he was a younger man, he would say it like our younger generation say it today. In one word, whatever. Just doesn't matter. Your life, your death, whatever. It doesn't matter. Because you don't matter. Because you're just an accident of the Big Bang. Just a bit of flotsam and jetsam. In the atheist world, you see, there's no morality, just power. But in Yahweh's world, there is a throne of power, but it's founded on righteousness and justice. That means that God's adversaries are going to meet God in his just and righteous anger and will stand no chance as his fire burns up his adversaries on every front. See, you can't pick a fight with God and expect to win. You can't hope to come out on top. He's the one before whom the mountains melt like wax of a candle. How can the fool who says there is no God hope to survive the coming of the Lord of all the earth? And so we come, move to the second part of our psalm where the heavens proclaim in verse 6 and 7 his righteousness. Thanks, Leah. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. All worshippers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. See, when God comes in all his heavenly glory, we will see his righteousness. That's a great message. For we expect to see his power, his might, his strength, his awesomeness, 
But what we will see is his righteousness. For that is his glory which all the peoples of the world will see on that day. Isaiah speaks for God when he described God's coming in salvation and judgment in these terms. God says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. Only in Yahweh it shall be said of me are righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. That is what our psalm is talking of here. The coming of the Yahweh in the day of judgment. And what we will see is justice, is righteousness. And when you see God in his righteous glory, then idol worshippers will be put to shame. The stupidity and the blasphemous immorality of idolatry will be apparent to all. And the deep shame will come upon those who worshipped other false gods or who worshipped the true God using idolatry, worshipping the true God by falsehood. But they're the problems of idolatry. Idols either represent the gods who are not really God or misrepresent the true and living God, but they never represent Yahweh. For they do not move, they cannot see, they cannot hear, they cannot think. They make nothing for themselves, and they themselves have been made. They cannot speak, they cannot act, they are powerless, and know no righteousness or justice. They're nothing like the true and living God. They're not representations of Yahweh. They are always misrepresentations of Yahweh. So those who make their boast in their worthless idols will be filled with shame at their folly because it will be obvious that Yahweh alone is the most high over all the earth. So verse 7 finishes then with a call to the gods, a call for the worship of gods, not that we should worship them, But all the gods should be worshipping Yahweh. Now I've mentioned over the last few weeks, and I know it's a little troubling when you first hear it, that our theological monotheism gets in the way of our Bible reading. There are other gods in the sense that there are other things, beings that people worship. But there are also other gods in the sense of supernatural beings who rule over affairs of this world. The devil is called the god of this world in the scriptures. And angels are also involved in the affairs of the world. We can call these supernatural beings angels, or we can call them gods. The Bible uses both words of them. It's important thing to understand, though, is that none of them in any way rival Yahweh. The true and living creator, judge, ruler, king and God of all the earth is indeed the creator, judge, ruler, king and God of all these supernatural beings as he is of the humans. 
He is the one and only ruler of heaven and earth. When the people of God hear of Yahweh's reign, the joy of Judah knows no end. So, well, he's going to read to us the next couple of verses then, please. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. See, all the gods are to worship Yahweh because Yahweh is the God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings, ruler of rulers, however you want to say it. He is the one whom they are to worship. And when he comes in his judgment, why, the, the hill of the temple of Jerusalem, Zion, Zion will be glad. And the daughters of Judah will rejoice. This, my friends, is a psalm of joy. If you look at verse 1, it calls upon the earth to rejoice. If you look at the last verse, verse 12, it calls upon the righteous to rejoice. For there will be great joy amongst God's people when he comes to reign in righteousness and justice. But notice, verse 7 says the joy is because of judgments. The judgments of Yahweh will bring us great joy. Have you noticed the joy that people are now expressing in the sad and sorrowful judgment on Ralph Harris? Rolf Harris. It's a strange thing, isn't it? The tale is one of sad and tragedy. For such a gifted, talented, funny entertainer who has brought happiness and joy to audiences around the world for 40, 50 years, to be found guilty of years of sexual abuse. It's a very sad story. It's a tragic story. But... And this is really an important but. He has been found guilty and his guilt has destroyed the lives of several people. While we were laughing at him, they were tortured by the very sight of him. And this destructive practice of his, unacknowledged, let alone punished for decades, has now been found and has now led to his imprisonment. And it is really good. It's good that he's been caught. It's good that he's been convicted. It's a relief to know that even the famous and the wealthy and the powerful are not above the law, but can be called to account And for those poor women who have suffered these years of abuse in the first place and pain and guilt and destruction that went on and on and on, it is good that this man is brought to justice. It is something that is pleasing, even though so awful. Our sadness for him must not come into the picture compared to our joy that justice has been done for the victims. That is just so much more important than our sorrow for a man whom we know. We don't know the victims. 
So we don't have the same feeling for them that we know of this man whom it's turned out we never really knew either, did we? We just clapped his performances. And so we rejoice in the punishment even though we're sad that it has come to this. But the triumph of righteousness and justice is really important and really valuable to rejoice in. So it will be when God's reign comes in full force. At the moment, we may be overwhelmed with the sadness of people coming under judgment. But on that day, we will rejoice that justice is finally been done for we will see what needs to be put right in ways that we do not see now. We will come to understand what righteousness and justice is and that God's ways are right. And it will be done because, as we read in verse 9, Yahweh is over the earth and God's. He's the most high over all the earth and he's the most high over all the other supernatural beings. That's why his judgment will be effective without any rival or alternative But it's also why we will rejoice because he who is righteous will judge the nations in righteousness with equity and with justice. And so we have the the last few verses of the psalm, the psalm's conclusion in verses 10 to 12. Thanks, Leah. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. It's a little section made up of two commands and an assurance. First command is the command to hate. You are given permission, in fact, you are required in the Bible to hate. It's for those who love Yahweh, for it comes out of our love for Yahweh, It's the command to hate evil. It's a wonderfully strong, this command, for we're tempted to be fascinated by evil, to toy with evil, to be enticed with evil, to be amused and and entertained by evil. The warped value system of our culture can be seen in our newspapers, our news broadcasts, our movies, our novels, our TV shows. Every night of the week, we are titillated by evil. It's called entertainment. What we must do is not play with evil, but hate evil. And with this command comes the assurance that Yahweh is our saviour. For notice in verse 10 how he preserves and delivers. He preserves his saints. The word saints means holy people. They're not necessarily people in stained glass windows and they don't have dinner plates behind their heads either. They're just the people set aside by God to be his people. All Christians are saints. The nation of Israel was the nation of saints in the Old Testament. He preserves his saints and he delivers us from the wicked. His people, the righteous people, get the light and joy of life. And so with this first commandment to hate evil comes the second command to rejoice. For that is the nature of our life, that we must be in this world still surrounded by an evil that we must put our mind and heart to hate. It must arouse in us 
this strong rejection of what is evil. And part of the problem of our entertainment by evil is that we slowly get anaesthetized to it. It becomes more normal to us. The first few times I, I, I saw on television the, uh, the, the, the morgue, the, the, the looking at the person who had been murdered and cutting them up in front, it was revolting. It's now on television on so many stations so much that the time you don't even notice how revolting it is to see how a murdered body has been so mangled. And they come up with more and more extreme forms of how the person was killed to make a more interesting form of having a post-mortem because it's now become dull just to have a post-mortem and you actually have to see more and more of the body to get the same sense of... We've been anaesthetised. We've been softened in our attitude of revulsion. And so it goes on with it. We must hate evil, but we must, and we're not just a negative people, rejoice. That's the second side of it. Rejoice with thankfulness in our hearts as we remember his holiness. Rejoice in Yahweh, those who are righteous. As Paul wrote to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. Always. Again I say, rejoice. For we are the people of joy, which, by the way, is why Christians and Christianity is the song, is the, is the religion of music. When the Taliban took over Afghanistan, the first thing they did was get rid of music. Islam is not a, is not a religion of joy and music. Christianity is a religion of joy and music because we rejoice in the Lord. Again I'll say, rejoice. For it's in Jesus' coming that Yahweh's reign commenced as the gospel is announcing Yahweh's reign. It's what Jesus and John the Baptist did. See, if you look in Matthew's gospel, we read at the beginning of their ministries, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the next chapter, Jesus began to preach saying, same message, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For Jesus came bringing the kingdom of God as he was the king in that kingdom. The letter to the Hebrews speaks to him as he whom angels worship. In the first chapter it says, and again when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Possibly referring to our Psalm 97 verse 7 where the gods, the angels, are to worship Yahweh. The Greek translation of the Jewish Greek translation of the Old Testament which was current in the New Testament period and from which Hebrews quotes translated the word gods as angels here and so it could be referring to that verse who is it though whom angels worship well they should only worship Yahweh but yet they are to worship him Throughout the Hebrews and other parts of the New Testament, the things that are said of Yahweh in the Old Testament are applied directly to Jesus in the New Testament. So Hebrews talks of Jesus' two appearings. He appears a second time for a different reason than the first time. The first time he came to pay the price for our sin, the second time, the one that's yet to come, is not to pay the price for sin, he's done that already, but to save his people who are waiting for him. And in Hebrews 9 we read, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, 
having been offered once to bear the sins of many people, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. For his people are the holy and righteous people that our psalm is talking of. Holy because the gospel has set them apart to be his people. Righteous because he has paid the penalty for us. So that there is no sin against us. No accusation that the evil one can bring to the court. Nothing will stand up against us because the penalty has been fully paid. In the first arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ by his death and resurrection. So he appears a second time in the judgment when he will rescue his people as he brings judgment to the world. And so we read at the beginning of our gathering, Victor read for us the seventh trumpet of the book of Revelation. For in Revelation 11, when we find the final trumpet is blown, we read, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And we read of the heavenly host worshipping God and saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. God has always been king. But with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, God's kingdom comes. All the kinds of things described in our psalm are here in that description in, Roman, in Revelation 11 of God's reign on earth, the clouds, the lightning, the enemies being conquered, the saints being rewarded. For this is the kingdom that Jesus came to bring and is described in Revelation 19 as the marriage of the bride. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of the great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted for her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are the true words of God. And then I I fell down at his feet to worship him, says John. But he said to me, you mustn't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. In the gospel, we see how the psalm, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, is fulfilled in Christ our Lord, who, not like any angel, we worship, whom in fact... All the angels, the gods of the supernatural world, worship, for he is Yahweh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and pray that we may have such confidence in your son that we will hate evil, that we will seek righteousness, and we will look forward to that day when we can rejoice in your justice. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.